0: have your Bible this morning turn with me to judges 13 and we read together only verses one through five bulletin I put 1 through 15 mistakenly but we read verse only verses 1 through 5. Judges 13 and verse 1. And the children, excuse me, the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zora of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, <clears throat> now thou art barren and bearest not. But thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come on his head For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Before we look at that text, if you would stand with me again, please, and sing with me number 400 and sixty-five. Like Israel, <laughs> oh, is that a strand, a sea, sea before a host behind that rocks? you made way, the time of greatest straits, thy chosen time has been, to manifest thy power is great, and may thy glory sing. O oh, sin the thou display thee on divine, so shall the praise be all thine own and I be mine. Thank you, be seated Terms, terms of deliverance. As we turn now to this 13th chapter in the record of the judges, we find ourselves again at this oft-repeated place In Israel's long history. A place where deliverance from their enemies. Is the topic. And the great need. Over and over. And over again. Israel repeats this revolting cycle of treachery. God blesses them with peace and plenty. They sin and abuse all his mercies. The Lord plagues them with the just pains of their wicked unfaithfulness. They cry out in a short-lived remorse. And God sends a deliverance and peace again. And then the whole revolting process is begun again. We've seen, we've seen it before. We shall see it again. Ad nauseum. But as we look at Israel, who among us who has ever known the grace of God, who among us would not testify that we stand well and true in the lineage of ancient Israel, in the same appalling guilt in our own experience. How many is a time every one of us Has given a living testimony, a living testimony to the written testimony of the apostle Paul to the Romans when he says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For that I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which is, which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. How many's a time every one of us here who've known the grace of God have given living testimony to the reality of that truth. And so it is that we find our chapter opening in this place, this place of ancient treachery in Israel With these solemn words. And the children of Israel. Did evil. Again. In the sight of the Lord. Judgment we find here in this first verse. Has rested on Israel now for 40 years. Actually historians. Would. Help us to comprehend that simple expression by reminding us that the Philistines had begun to annoy and oppress Israel earlier, shortly, in fact, shortly after the death of Jephthah. The Amorites by Jephthah had been crushed, but these Philistines had gained strength and boldness during the whole time of those last three judges that we studied in the end of chapter 12. All that while, these were gaining strength. And this Philistine pestilence would continue, we find, in the record of the scriptures and the history. They would continue for some 20 years more, even after Samson. Until they were finally conquered under David in Samuel's time, but our chapter opens right in the midst of Israel's heaviest burdens under God's strong hand of justice for their sin. Peace and quiet times. you remember a message a week or two ago. I talked to you about the importance of the proper use of quiet times. Peace and quiet times has opened the doors of temptation. And as is so often the case, it leads to carnal indulgence. It paralyzes watchfulness. And it breeds a careless Self-pleasing. Oh, blessed Lord. How could I this morning, if I were not more wise, how could I stand here and testify to you of that in my own life? Some of you in your own life. God, in His great mercy, in spite of yourself, brought you, Through a time of provision, a time of peace, a time of plenty, a time of blessing. And you allowed that time to distract your heart with the bubbles of this world. The pleasures of flesh paralyzes watchfulness, I said. Breeds careless self-pleasing. And carnal indulgence. Quiet time it had been for Israel. But now. As the backdrop of this narrative clearly shows. If I may use an old southern expression. Now when we get to chapter 13. The chickens have come home to roost. And Israel is suffering. Fawcett said, the history of the elect nation under the judges moved in the same cycle throughout and is therefore narrated in the same recurring phrases. Prosperity induced laxity. Does it not often do that? God help us all. Does prosperity not induce laxity? And they did evil in the sight of Jehovah. And as cause and effect are inseparable, Jehovah delivered them into the hands of their enemies. But as they were his chosen people, the punishment was not destructive, but corrective. Now correction betokens love. It's a proof of a father's deep interest in his child. To be without fatherly chastisement is the note of a bastard, not of a son. And so our Heavenly Father speaks to His family in Amos chapter 3 and verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for your iniquities." It is a principle which cannot be escaped if our God loves us he will correct us and it is here in our text that we find this judgment of God this punishment for all their iniquities has been sustained already for 40 long years and now it is that Israel groans for a deliverer. Now it is that our God will move himself, we find in our text. He will move himself sovereignly to their deliverance. God's mercy, may I, may I admonish you to know, God's mercies are always seasonal. <laughs> I mean by that, They are always in the right season. And that season seems to have come near now for Israel. God, I said, moved himself sovereignly. Again, if I may quote, Fawcett speaks to us in this matter. He says, before we read, before we read of any repentance on the part of Israel, God was the first to move in mercy toward them. God might say in Isaiah 1 and 5, Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. But now, He will prove them with gratuitous and unlooked-for compassion amidst their miseries. It was when the Egyptian king commanded all the male children of Israel to be killed. It was at that very time when the commander of the of the uh, Egyptians commanded that all the children, male children, be killed. It was at that very time that Moses was born. And saved from death. It was when the Philistines rule. Rule pressed most sorely. That Samson was born. And so we see that the sorrows of his elect. Move our father to remember. Us. For his own covenant sake. Not for our Grievous backsliding. Not for the grief and sorrow caused by our backsliding. No, no. But for his own glory's sake. He remembers us in the midst of our grieving. Says Fawcett, love often melts. When punishment only hardens. You could hear it in the prayer earlier. Surely you could hear it in your own heart. As... Luke worded our prayer for us Oh blessed Lord How ashamed I am to come And I would not come Except you bid me Love I said often melts The heart and heart First John 4 and 10 Herein is love Not that we love God But that he loved us And that he sent his son To be the propitiation for our sins This amazing love Moves his redeemed to shame for their sins and love for their savior, as he saith in Ezekiel sixteen sixty three. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant. Hallelujah! I will remember my covenant that thou mayest remember and be confounded. And never open thy mouth anymore because of thy shame. When I am pacified toward thee. For all that thou hast done. saith the Lord God. How could he say it more plainly. I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to pour out my love on you. Because of my covenant. And it's going to close your mouth. Because of shame. Your shame. My kindness. God works in His own wise and sovereign time. (laughs) It's not uncommon among us to hear us at times make some slighting comment concerning the postings of revival. I've seen them this week around the county. I suppose it's that time of year, I don't know. Revival, one sign says, will begin at 6.35, Wednesday night. (laughs) As if revival is a thing that man can orchestrate, organize, and execute on his own. No, it's the great, sovereign, wise timing of our God. The children of, did, children of Israel did evil inside the Lord, he turned them over into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, and then there was a certain man. And then there was a certain man. Surely many in Israel, not just Manoah, But surely there were many in Israel, not just Manoah and his wife. Surely there were many in Israel that had been praying in no doubt the same thoughts, if not words, of the psalmist in chapter 13 when the psalmist cried out to the Lord, How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long? Will Thou hide Thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I prevailed against them. And those that trouble me rejoice. When I moved, how long, Lord, how long, no doubt. There were many in Israel at this very hour when chapter 13 opens that are crying out in those words, Lord, how long, how long? It's already been 40 years. How long? No doubt there were others in Israel that were praying, if not in the words, certainly in the thoughts. The Psalmist in Psalm one hundred or Psalm seventy nine, O oh God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance, thy holy temple have they defiled, they've laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat to the fowls of the heavens and the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem. There's none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors. A scorn and a derision to them that are around about us. How long, Lord? Will Thou be angry forever? Shall Thy jealousy burn like fire? How long, Lord? How long? No doubt there are those praying in Israel. Chapter 13 of Judges. Not just Manoah and his wife, but there were others praying in Israel. If not in the words in the thoughts of Psalm chapter 80, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, Thou that dwellest between the cherubim, Shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in a measure. Years ago I intended, I never got around to it, to write a message entitled, The Liquid Diet for the Save. liquid diet for the saint. He said, Thou feedest them with bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Liquid diet. Thou makest us to strive unto our neighbors, a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us, turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause our face to shine. And we shall be saved. Surely, surely Manoah and his wife were interceding in words similar to these. Surely there were others in Israel that were pleading. Forty years. Oh God, how long. Turn us, Lord, turn us. And then we read it. Judges 13 verse 2. And there was a certain man. A certain man. Israel is sorely in need of a deliverance. And God has sovereignly set about to supply it. But as his, as is his sovereign, almighty, Right to do. He has set out some terms. Whereby that deliverance will be enacted. God has set out the terms. I know that in the modern gospel context. Man is the deciding determiner. But in the scriptures, God determines these matters. We read the opening words of this 13th chapter. It cannot, it cannot but be conspicuous to our hearts that it is God who has set about sovereignly to do this. So the message this morning, or at least as far as I can get with it, I'd like to draw out of our text for your consideration the terms the conditions for deliverance I give you first of all in verse 1 that is a context for deliverance evil must have exacted its price 40 years Forty years into the hands of the Philistines. And if you want to know anything about what that would look like, you have nothing more to do than to turn on your television and watch the news today. Forty years they've been in the hands of these evil people. And so it must be as a term of God's deliverance They must be punished for their sins. The just reward for the heinous affrontery committed against their sinless benefactor. They must be punished and evil will exact the price of their transgressions. I read last week. I think I might have made a little comment. I don't remember. I read from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, where the psalmist, where the, where the prophet said, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people say if your God speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned before, for, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I told you I used to struggle with that. couldn't understand how could it be just that the Lord exact double. And I read the words of John Smith, the dear Reverend John Smith in 1795 in his book. It is well, he said, so long as we are out of hell, God punishes us less than our sins deserve. The marvel is not that he exacted double. It's that he stopped there. And did not exact more. As long as we're out of hell. God has not dealt with us as our sins. Oh. The scripture tells us in Ezra chapter 9 Ezra chapter 9 verse 10 and now oh our God what shall we say after this? He's enumerated all their trials, their sorrows, their suffering the things that they have done and they're turning and Ezra's praying to God, confessing their sins, and then he says in verse 10, And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commands, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets saying, The land into which thou go, that which ye go to possess it, is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which fill it, from one end to another with their uncleanness now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons neither take their daughters unto your sons nor seek their peace or their wealth forever ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever and after all of that is come to upon you for our evil deeds and for our great trespass seeing that thou Thou art, uh, thou uh, our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and has given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations, Wouldst not thou be angry with us till thou hast consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor escaping. Oh Lord God of Israel! Thou art righteous, for we remain yet escaped. As it is this day, behold, we are before thee in our trespasses. For we cannot stand before thee because of this. Oh, God, verse 13, has punished us less less than our iniquities deserve. Less than our iniquities deserve. Less than our iniquities deserve. What does Ezra say? He says, oh Lord God, how dare we go out and embrace again? And could I say that to you this morning? I may have more to say later in another point of the message about the law of God, but I want to say to you this morning, it's not legalism. Brethren, it's not legalism. A call for holiness is not legalism. Our God is holy. How dare we be called out of our sins unto salvation and go back and embrace the world and all that they're doing. The season of the year is always a disgusting time for me. Seeing the rank paganism that parades itself under the guise of Christianity Evil must have exacted its price. do to know why we haven't turned in America's Our brother was praying and pleading earlier in his prayer that God would turn us all. Here it is. The price of evil has not yet been paid. We've still got it. Way too good. Evil. Here's a term. Here's a condition of deliverance for Israel. It's recorded in that very first verse. Evil must have exacted its price. And what must our answer be? What must our answer be to it? When God begins to exact this price from us, what will our answer be? I find it in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 39. Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins, how dare he complain? What is our response? I tell you, it's to put our hand over our mouth. Jeremiah in the Lamentation says how. How dare a man to complain? when God is exacting the price for his evil. How dare we complain? But we do, don't we? (laughs) We complain if the air conditioning doesn't come on in time. We complain if there's too much reflection on the windshield of our car. We complain if the drive-thru doesn't deliver our food quick enough. Lord God help us. We haven't even suffered yet. We're complaining and we haven't even suffered yet. The prophet Jeremiah said, How dare you complain? How dare man complain? When God is exacting a penalty for our sins. Put your hand over your mouth. Terms, terms, terms for deliverance. Number one, evil must have exacted its price. But number two, a deliverance will be sent when the saints are made to thoroughly understand Not only the justice of their misery. That would be number one. But number two also. That they must understand their utter helplessness. To effect any change. As I said. We've not suffered enough. In America. And we are not yet without options, so we think. A deliverance will be sent when the saints are made to thoroughly understand not only the justice of their misery, but their own utter helplessness to effect any change, look at verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was Baron and Bear Not. Baron and Bear Not. There's a double expression that's used again later in this same chapter. Double expression. And in the Hebrew, that's always for emphasis to bring, great emphasis to a point. Barren and bearish not. The Hebrew word for barren here translates literally sterile. And the word bearish not, yolad, it means to beget lineage. And so there is this double tragedy that bears down upon her that must be made very clear that she has come to feel and to know and Manoah, her husband, has come to feel and to know and that is that they are barren and bear not, she is sterile and will never beget lineage. Oh, how clear! Did our Lord teach this lesson to Gideon in chapter seven? You remember it, I'll not go back. That deliverance is altogether in his hands and not in ours. You remember in that chapter in verse two, he said, The people are too many. Gideon, too many. They're too many. Then you get on down to chapter to verse four, in that same chapter, he said. The people are yet too many. Yet too many. How can it be Lord? Because deliverance won't be done by the thousands of Israel's troops. It will be done by 300 in order that men may know that it's only God who can effect their deliverance. Paras. And perish not. There's nothing. Nothing. They could do about it. The woman could not repair it. The man could not repair it. Perish, Bearish not. This is one of the terms. Of deliverance. That man must come to understand his utter and absolute inability to do anything about it. The great tragedy for most of us and the reason we almost never see God's hand work effectually in our lives, in our families, in our church, it comes down to this. We feel we are not without effort and a way to fix it. We feel... We have not come to the end. The prophet laments it in Lamentations 3 and 39. Complaint. Complaint. That word complaint in that day. Oh, as long as complaint remains, we are not yet broken. We have not yet exhausted our resources. We have not yet seen our utter... Barrenness, barren, and barren is not. The double emphasis. Oh, here's one of the terms. Here's one of the conditions for God to send a Samson. We must realize our utter incapability to do anything about. I know that many of us know it and feel it painfully. We know it and feel it painfully. Especially when we pray for our children. We pray for others that we love. There's nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. Oh, but that's good. That's a condition under which God is pleased to send deliverance we have ceased to supply our own aid and fall down at his feet. Oh Lord, how long? How long? How long? We can do nothing. Nothing. It's a condition. It's one of the terms. We see it right here in this text. And his wife was barren, and bare not, sterile, and cannot produce lineage. Oh, could I just tell you as a sidelight here, lest you despair, that God's afflictions. God's afflictions are the occasion for him to reveal his greatest mercy and presence. <laughs> oh, here it is. Verse 1. Forty years. Forty years. But what is that? Oh, that's a marvelous occasion for God's season. To find a man named Manoah and his wife. And she's barren. Can I just encourage you, Saint, lest you fall completely into despair this morning? Can I just encourage you to remind you that it is in God's afflictions, it is in God's deprivations, that He is known seasonably to find occasion. For his greatest mercies and presence. Oh, bless the Lord. The psalmist said, the psalmist said in 119 and verse 71 It is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Oh, you'll get there, friend. You'll get there. You'll get to the place that one word from God is worth more than all of the other things that have occupied your mind and your interest and your place. One word from God will be vain. You'll get there when his afflictions bring you there. You'll get to that place of prayer we have recorded by Isaac Watts in our hymn book. Hymn 590 that says this, Consider all my sorrows, Lord, and thy deliverance sin, my soul for thy salvation faints. When will my troubles end. Yet I have found tis good for me. To bear my father's rod. Affliction made me learn thy law. And live unto my God. Had not thy word been my delight. When earthly joys were fled. My soul oppressed with sorrow's weight. had sunk among the dead. Before I knew thy chastening rod. My feet were apt to stray but now I learn to keep thy word nor wander from thy way it's good for me can I encourage you saint in affliction in deprivation as the sorrow's mount and pile mountain high upon your head can I say to you, it looks from where I'm standing like a great occasion for God to display His greatest mercies. It's a condition. A condition for deliverance. It must be a condition for deliverance. There was a certain man of was of the family of Denonites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and bare not. <laughs> Conditions. Terms. For deliverance. I'm willing to will continue next week to pursue this same subject. Turn with me if you will again to your hymn book. Turn to 509 and stand with me to sing, please. I waited patient for the Lord. He bowed to hear my cry. He saw me resting on His Word and brought salvation. I waited patient for the Lord. He bowed to hear my cry. He saw me resting on His word and brought salvation. On. He me from a gloomy pit where morning long I lay and from my bones released my feet deep bonds of my clay. Firm on a rock, he made me stand and taught my cheerful tongue to praise the wonders of his hand in new and thankful song. I'll spread his works of grace abroad. The saints with joy shall hear. And sinners learn to make my God their only hope and fear. How many are, thy loves of love, thy mercies, Lord, how great! We have not words, nor hours enough their numbers to repeat.